Tony Manini here, the Executive Chairman of AsiaMet Resources. Uh, for, for those who are unaware of AsiaMet, we're a, a junior uh, company who's developing uh, a copper portfolio in Indonesia. We have uh, one project, which is a 25,000 tonne uh, SXCW uh, copper project, which has had a full feasibility completed, and we're, we're moving that forward now uh, towards production. And we have a large growth project, which is Butong, also in Indonesia, where we have over 500 million tonnes of copper and gold in resource. Tony, good to see you. I have seen you since April. How have you been? Yeah, good, thanks, Matt. Very busy, but good. Good lad. Um, so look, you're, you're obviously in Australia, uh, I think Melbourne from memory, or Melbourne-ish from memory. Uh, things in Indonesia, not so easy. Looks like a bit of an outbreak of COVID there. How are things on the ground? Oh, look, it's been a particularly difficult time for people in Indonesia. Um, obviously, uh, it's a developing country. It doesn't have the, you know, the medical support facilities that we have in, in the UK or in Australia. Um, so people have, you know, it's been a very challenging time, large population, you know, the virus spreading very quickly. So it certainly impacted a lot of people. It's impacted us as a business, you know, um, fairly significantly as well. Unfortunately, you know, many of our staff have actually contracted COVID, have been ill. In fact, one of our senior staff, Mansur Geiger, is actually just recovering at the moment. He's been ill for a few weeks. And very unfortunately, we had one of our staff actually pass away uh, from COVID-related illness about three, two, three weeks ago. So, you know, we have been very impacted by it and, you know, our, our staff and families have been severely impacted by it. Well, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear about um, that and, you know, or, you know it, 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 it's, it's, it's a difficult one. You've got to put your staff... First and foremost, in here, you know, everything else is is second place to that. So, in terms of the on the ground ability to function properly, I mean, how much has it impacted your ability to deliver some of these milestones that you talked about in one of your press releases? As I say, it's 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 been pretty challenging. I mean, there's despite you know what I just said, there has been you know some pretty severe restrictions around personnel and and movement as well. So. We've, we've, you know, we've got a very dedicated team. Uh, we've been got all our systems, processes and protocols in place to manage um, outbreaks of COVID. We have a paramedic uh, permanently positioned at site. We have a testing regime in and out. So, you know, we've got our systems and processes, but all those sort of restrictions and obviously the implications of people falling ill uh, you know, have have slowed our progress to some degree. You know, but you know we've managed to we've managed to do most of the things that we said we we're going to do. But things are slower. So you can imagine services, laboratories, service providers. Uh, you know, they've only got half staff or part staff working. So there's a lot of flow and effects, not just directly with our own business, but in terms of the services that people provide to our business. Okay, so since we talk, I mean, I saw a press release that you've been doing a little bit of drilling, but, you know, first three holes completed, 440 metres, doesn't sound like a lot. So it sounds like the impact has been quite severe in terms of the on-the-ground functional component to your operations. Yeah, look, we very, you know, very much so. We've, as I said, it's, it's, we've still managed to get things done, but it's, it's considerably slower than you would like it to be. Um, and by necessity, as you said earlier on, you know, our number one priority is looking after, you know, uh, all 
our stakeholders. Um, so, you know, that's what we've we've done. We've got an obligation to do that. Uh, and so, you know, we the government has got its own regimes in place, which we need to we need to abide by and follow. So, um, yeah, look, it slowed us down a bit, but you know, as I said, we've made we've still made very very good progress, Matt, uh, in all the key areas that we uh, talked about last time I was on. Okay, well, let, let, let's talk about a few of the things that you, we talked about last time we were on, because there's a bit of an over overhang um, issue um, with regards to Eternum uh, Energy. Um, you've well, I think you found a solution for that. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, okay. So um, we discussed last time uh, that we had this uh, a fifteen point four percent shareholder, which was a turn of energy. Uh, we had a deal uh, with them, which went sour uh, at the sort of start of this year. Um, they uh, subsequently um, were sitting there, pretty much, you know, as an overhang. And I think we discussed last time that, you know, what we were looking to do there was to sort of find a solution uh, for that particular block. Um, a turn had indicated to us that they were um, potential sellers of that, that stake. Uh, and hence, you know, there was, uh, they subsequently uh, made a, you know, concrete decision to sell. They engaged um, a consultant to, find a buyer for them um i um, you know i know i knew that consultant reasonably well that consultant did speak to me and you know asked me you know did i have anybody that uh you know may be interested in acquiring that block um obviously we had stake we had you know discussions going on with various parties around um, a strategic in as a strategic investor into the company for the development of the project. Um, in in discussions with one of those parties, uh, they expressed uh, an interest uh, in um, that Eternum Energy block. So subsequently, um, that uh, you know that that particular individual, uh, which is a Shish Gupta, uh, put in uh, a bid for that that. Uh, a turn of stake and was successful in acquiring that stake. Um, now, you know, Ashish is somebody that I've known for a long time. Um, we've, we've, you know, done business uh, in the past. In fact, we together, uh, myself, uh, with our private equity group and Ashish owned and operated the largest gold mine in Indonesia, which we sold in uh, 2018. So, We've known each other quite a long time. Um, you know, she subsequently bought that stake. He, uh, following following that acquisition, you know, we've had follow-on discussions about, you know, how uh, he might have greater involvement in what we're doing going forward. So, okay, you, you, know, you know him, great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about him. You've told us about something that you've done there, but where's 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 his money from, sorry? Was it just from the, the, the projects that you used to work on? Or? So Ashish has has been uh, uh, previously he was with Farallon Asia, which is a a large San Francisco based uh, hedge fund that uh, he uh, operated together with his partners out of Singapore. Um, they've been in that part of the world for a long time. They have a lot of investments uh, in broader South, broader Asia, but uh, in particular they've done a lot of business uh, in Indonesia. Uh, across a whole spectrum of different sectors, but also 
you know, particularly in the mining space uh, and not just in, in Indonesia, but in Australia as well and other places. So they've been a big investor uh, in the resources space over a long period of time. As I said, I've known them gone probably over 20 years or so as investors in the sector. Um, they've, you know, privately backed some big names uh, who've been very successful in you know, coal mining uh, and metals mining uh, in the past. And as I said, um, you know, we had a partnership with them uh, where we acquired uh, what was a large gold mine in Indonesia and we turned it into the largest gold mine in Indonesia over a three or four-year period. Uh, we partnered with, um, with those guys uh, on that deal together with some other Indonesian, large Indonesian families, uh, put together a consortium, acquired the asset and uh, re, you know, expanded the asset and subsequently on-sold it a few years later. So, look, as I said, we know each other well. We've done a fair bit of business together over the years. These guys, uh, you know, they've, they're, they're a, they've got a big pool of capital. Um, they've been, as I said, very successful investors, well-known across the space. Um, across a whole range of sectors uh, and, you know, they are very actively expanding their investment activities uh, right now. Um, under, you know, their business is now, they've formed a new business called Tigavest, um, which, you know, has a whole range of different investments, as I so, said. But how's, so, that, how's that work, Tony? Because obviously the, he's got links with, you know, um, Delta, Dunia and Boomer, yes. et cetera, which are companies. So has he invested as an individual or through the company? And if it is through the company, what is their intent? Yeah, so yeah, very good question. So um, so Ashish has acquired the, the stake uh, himself. Uh, Tigervest is a large shareholder in... Um, uh, Delta Dunia. So they acquired that interest uh, fairly recently. Um, and Delta Dunia, or Boomer, as they're known in Indonesia, um, is it's the second, probably the second largest mining contractor in the country. So uh, those guys have got a lot of, uh, you know, experience um, across a whole range of different uh, aspects of the mining business. So everything from uh, EPCM contracting, building power plants, um, mine development, um, you know, uh, infrastructure development, roads. Um, so, you know, engage, you know, they're, they're, they're a big group with a lot of sites and they're very big in Kalimantan where our project is, which is, you know, critically important. So, 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 do we, so does that give us a sense of we, we know what's coming down the line here? The, the, the contract, there's only one real bidder and one, one real winner. Is that right? No. So, so, so let's, let's just um, take a step back now. So we started out by just talking about who the investor was. But we're actually, and, and as I alluded to last time, we've, we've actually signed confidentiality agreements with five different parties who are doing ongoing due diligence uh, at the moment. Um, you know, two of those, two of those are, um, you know, are, are progressing probably more rapidly and, and more seriously than and the other three. Both of those are very much blue chip groups. Uh, as we've said in our public release, um, Boomer has signed a CA post that acquisition of that share block and is now um, commencing due diligence work. We also have another blue chip Indonesian investor uh, 
another group who I've known with known a long time, uh, very big uh, in uh, the resources sector in the country uh, and offshore as well, for that matter. Um, they are also, you know, um, they've got a lot of people in the data room and working very uh, extensively on comprehensive diligence. So we do have uh, still have a number of parties uh, at the table um, and we are progressing, you know, that, that process of diligence. And, you know, we have been discussing, you know, um, some commercial terms um, uh, for a partnership on the project. Uh, so it's more, it's more, the thrust is, is really towards an operating partnership at the project level to develop the project, uh, take it through and then uh, to operate to an operating status. Okay, but you get, you get my point. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether Anish Gupta coming in with certainly with all his connections, it's a big company, right? Like 11,000 11, employees, a big company. There's not an expectation on their part or it wasn't conditional on getting the work from you when you sort of, you know, in terms of EPC contracts, et cetera. That, that's not part of what the investment included. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, the, the, the acquisition of the shares, as I said, there was a process that was put in place by, um, by Eternum Energy to actually sell their share block. And so... Um, that process was that was a separate process to what we're talking about now in terms of strategic investment. So um, that investment was made. Ashish has made that investment purely, you know, on his own behalf um, to acquire that stake. He's a large shareholder in in Boomer as well. The you know we've owned, we've signed a confidentiality with Boomer post that acquisition, and then they're you know they're underway with their diligence at the moment. So. They're really two separate things, um, and one was not tied to the other um, in terms of the initial acquisition of that share block. Okay. So when when do you make when do you make a decision? When when's the decision making time in terms of who wins contracts? I think it's the first port of call is really who who you know who we who do we go with as a strategic partner. So that's number one, and that'll come down to you know. And I've been very clear on this. It's all about value. So, you know, what represents the best value for shareholders uh, in any transaction? So, as I said, we've got, you know, two blue chip groups. They're currently doing diligence work. They're discussing, you know, commercial terms. And ultimately, and, I, you know, I've been very clear on this with the parties, is that uh, it'll come down to the commercial terms and what's in the best interest of shareholders um, and not necessarily sort of in the short term, but, you know, longer term, what represents the best value proposition for the Asian shareholders. So, look, you know, that's all progressing pretty well. Those, well, tell me, you know, tell, me about, tell me about it. We, you know, you're having conversations with strategic partners, and just really clear what that means, is someone to come in with a big chunk of equity for you to be able to, you know, pay for the works which you've, which you've outlined in the feasibility study. So remind people how much money we're talking about and the types of strategic partners you're talking about. Are they local? Are they international? Yep. So, so look, you know, pretty clear. So um, I guess investors will know from the feasibility study completed in 2019, look, it's been, you know, we've got some updates, but let's call it circa... $250 million for a 25,000-ton SXCW um, copper project. We, you know, the indications are that we should be able to finance that around 60% debt. 
So you, so that's call that circa, uh, you know, 140 million. Um, so you've got to solve for essentially $110 million of equity. Uh, I also have been very clear that, um, you know, we, we don't want to come back to the market and be solving for a large piece of equity uh, off what I consider to be a very undervalued, you know, position that, we, that we're yeah, in 50, now. 50, 55 million market cap today. Yeah, that would, that would be a tough one. So. Yes, correct. So, so, you know, we've got to solve for circa $100 million of equity and, you know, that's what I'm talking to, you know, the potential partners. So the way that we're looking at that is somebody comes in, you know, investor comes into the project, they um, solve for a majority of that equity and earn circa, you know, half of the project is, is the way that we're sort of talking. So, you know, that's, that's sort of how we view it. You know, some... Some of the parties are interested in more. Some are interested in, you know, around that fifty percent partnership. But at the end of the day, it comes down to value. So you know what what represents the best value, and um, you know we we feel that you know the initial discussions that we've had, we should be able to solve for a large part of that that equity gap. So so let's let's talk about how you do that. I'm, I'm fascinated about how you build something like that because. Clearly, at 50, 55 million market cap, depending on the time of day here, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a conversation you don't particularly want to have today. But would you getting the debt in place subject to mean that you can have slightly better conversations with these potential strategic equity providers? Or, I mean, given what copper's doing in the market, you, you know, you should be on a tear right now, but you're not. Or are you going to be relying on other outside factors? And can do you have the capital to sit around and wait for those other outside factors to come to bear, come to play, come to help you? Yeah, look, um, so I guess the strategy here is pretty clear. So, um, yes, you know, and I said this, I think, last time we met, you know, um, the the number of inbound, the, the amount of inbound interest and the amount of sort of serious parties that we've got at the table in the last 12 months, uh, particularly last nine months, has been, you know, probably more than we've had in the last five years. I mean, you know, there's a very definitive, you know, with the whole energy transition push, um, there's a lot of new players into the market looking for copper exposure. So whether they're, you know, what we're seeing, uh, Matt, is particularly in Indonesia, a huge amount of wealth has been built around the resources, particularly in the coal sector. So what we're seeing is that a lot of those, you know, coal participants, doesn't matter whether they're mining contractors like Boomer or whether they're big coal companies, you know, who have got billion, you know, billion dollars of cash sitting on their balance sheet, um, they are thinking, well, okay, how do we transition our business gradually over time and get exposure to the, you know, to this energy transition thematic? So copper is very much in their wheelhouse, given Indonesia is a pretty, you know, significant copper producer. There's a number of copper companies uh, producing now. So those, you know, those players are now looking at, okay, where can we get copper exposure? But, of course, with the restrictions around COVID and travel and everything else, it's very hard for anybody to go geographically to go offshore. So those companies are sort of really much looking, into, very much looking internally and saying, okay, what opportunities are there in Indonesia? 
Now, you know, we've positioned ourselves, you know, this has been a five-year strategy uh, to position ourselves to be basically, a, you know, a shovel-ready project um, into a strong copper market, which is where we are now. So it's no surprise that we've got in what we're doing. Um, the key thing really is to, number one, is to ensure that we get a, um, a credible uh, partner who can bring far more than just money to the table. You know, Indonesia is a, you know, it's an operating environment where, you know, local um, uh, experience, operating experience is very important. So, you know, all the groups we're talking to, they bring strong balance sheets, very strong balance sheets to the table, but they bring very significant amount of in-country operating experience, in-country permitting experience, um, and a lot of networks and relationships, you know, uh, at all levels of government uh, and stakeholder engagement in country. So, um, and when I say blue chip, you know, I mean people who actually... Um, you know, they run their business very much the same way as a, as a Western corporate would. They've got very strong uh, environmental, social, uh, you know, overlays to their business. Their governance is very strong. So, you know, and they see themselves as, you know, as companies operating uh, in, a, in a global sector. So you're talking about someone very specific there in your mind. You're not saying the name, but you sound like you're talking about one company very specifically. Uh, I look, both the parties that we that I talked about that were serious with would fit into that category. So, does, does Boomer fit into that category? Be pardon? Does Boomer fit Absolutely. into that category? Oh, no, Boomer is a very, very reputable. I mean, it's a, it's a very reputable, large, reputable listed. It's Indonesian listed company um, with you know very high standards across you know the whole ESG spectrum. So, you know, they're they're as a mining contractor, they're employed by some of the biggest companies to actually do all their contract mining uh, in some cases, you know, operating their sites. Um, as I said, they build power plants, they do roads and infrastructure and et cetera. So, you know, the, the, the overlay there is that you've got to be, you've got to be very good at, uh, you know, community engagement, uh, managing the social issues and managing environmental aspects because those two things tie together very closely um, to be successful as a business. And, you know, that's part of their corporate brand, um, you know. Is that who you were talk- referring to earlier? I know you've got two, but were you talking about Boomer specifically? Yeah, so I, I, you asked me now about Boomer. So does Boomer fit that category? And I said yes. And uh, the other... the other And then I asked you, are you, were you specifically thinking of Boomer when you were talking about it? Is that is that who we're talking about? Both, I, I was thinking of both parties. As I okay. Said. Both, okay. Both parties would fit that bill um, in almost in almost the same way. Fantastic, that's good. Let's say if it was Boomer. Let's say if it was Boomer. Obviously, with uh, uh, Ashish Gupta's whatever it is, fifteen point three six percent shareholding now. Um, if you did appoint Beamer and they did take an equity position of whatever, potentially fifty percent of the of the project, um, that's effectively like you you handing over the business to Beamer, isn't it? Um, no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, one's you know, one's a fifteen percent shareholder and one's you know fifty percent at the project level, right? So the project level, and that's one of our projects. We have two, so. Um, you know, it's part of our business um, 
you know, we've got a good supportive shareholder long term uh, who, you know, he wants to obviously make money out of his investment irrespective of who we end up going with as a partner. So, you know, the, the I guess, you know, if, if Boomer are the partner, um, then, you know, it's a project level deal with Boomer and it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a corporate deal at, at the Asia Met level. So, you know, I, I, I feel that those two things are, you know, they're separate things and they don't, they don't sort of provide control to any particular party. Um, okay. So, can we can we talk about the timing of, of, of these conversations? When when it happened? Because again, I refer back to one of your statements in, in a press release where you talk about obviously the 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 focus on health and wellbeing of employees as, and contractors as you <clears throat> as a first priority as you should. But finance and development related activities are continuing that pace um, and closing in on a number of important uh, closing in on a number of important enabling milestones. So you need money to deliver milestones. So when's the money coming? Yeah, so, um, well, firstly, let's just talk about, you know, we, we raised $15 million at the start of the year and we said we were going to do a number of things with that, that money to get the project ready. The three core work streams really were, number one was, as we talked about earlier, the technical side, the process flow sheet, which we've actually done a considerable amount of work that now, We've narrowed that down to two options and we're just finalising which option we're going to take forward, whether it's to stick with a heat leach project with a few changes to that or whether we go down uh, producing uh, a concentrate route. That was the first thing um, and we've we've done a lot of work on that and that's coming to a, you know, a conclusion uh, pretty soon. Uh, the second piece was really on drilling and, you know, to um, get back on the ground, uh, get the rigs turning, and look, that's a you know, there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that, um, and they are number one, uh, we, you know, when you're going into project financing, uh, the longer the resource life, the longer the reserve life, and the demonstrated sort of potential for resource extensions and mine life extensions is important because financiers, debt financiers, their main driver is you know, am, am I going to get my money back? Uh, when am I going to get my money back and how much is, you know, how much is that uh, going to cost, you know, the company? But, you know, getting their money back is a, is a, is a key driver. So demonstrating longer life, uh, demonstrating more robust project is very important to help with project financing discussion. So that's, just, that's the second, uh, second thing. The other piece, of course, is that we're in discussions with strategic investors coming into the project now. So, you know, I, it's in the interest of all shareholders for us to clearly show that there's a lot of upside still to come in this project um, and, you know, grow, grow the resources, demonstrate that there's a longer life and try to capture some of that value today uh, in terms of, you know, the, the discussions and commercial discussions around, around the deal. So it's, it's, it's an important part of, of um, leveraging our position in discussions to actually demonstrate that we've got a lot more life uh, in the project. So, what, so what's more important for the business and therefore shareholders to, to you as far as, as far as you're concerned? Because getting one of your projects into production and getting some cash flowing, even if you end up with only 50% of that project, or expanding the resource in the hope that people give you credit for it and, and again, maybe it drives share price up. How do you get that balance? 
Our oh, number one priority is to get into production as fast as you possibly can. I mean, cash flow, you, you want to get into cash flow as fast as you possibly can. So, you know, I've made it very clear to our team that, um, you know, you're, we're, we've, we've set ourselves up for this. Um, we need to get into, into production for the smallest amount of capital possible in the fastest time frame, and that's what we're working t- towards. So that's really the core driver, the core focus. As I said, there's a small program, it's 3,000 metres of drilling, um, and that has important implications for project financing and important implications for strategic investor discussions. So, um, you know, that's 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 certainly secondary to getting the project into production as quickly as we possibly can, but an important consideration at the same time. But what's the arbitrage there when you're making decisions or you're talking about this at board level, you go 3,000 metres, I mean, what's that really going to add in terms of resource size? How much more value or leverage can you gain in your negotiations off the back of 3,000 metres? Because it's just going to be, let's say it's more of the same, isn't it? Oh, look, it's, you know, I've been in this position many times in the past and, demonstrating, clearly demonstrating that there's a longer mine life and there's significant upside potential is a very important piece when you're in, the, in this phase of discussions with financiers. They will always want to see, okay, well, let's assume this is the way that a financier works. He says, let's assume things don't quite go according to plan. You know, am I going to get my money back? Um, how long have I got to get my money back? So if I can clearly demonstrate to those guys that we, it, you know, there's a word for it. It's called reserve tail, you know. How long is the reserve tail? So if we can demonstrate we've got a much longer reserve tail, then it obviously gives greater confidence to, to finances, uh, you know, who, you, who you're looking to provide debt uh, for, for, the, for the project. So, um, yeah, it's, it, look, it's, 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 it's very important, as I said, um, you know, been in this position many times. And I think, you know, one of the things you got to, you, you know, I, I often hear that sort of sit, uh, it brought up about well, what, you know, what's a drill program going to do for you now? But if you look at, you know, I, I use Sandfire resources in Australia, right? ASX listed Sandfire. Um, Sandfire actually had a very aggressive drill program right through the time that they were actually developing the project and in discussions with project financiers, debt and equity to develop their project. And they were able to actually maintain a very full price, full value, and get some, you know, very good terms, um, you know, for their financing and actually, you know, keep their equity valuation, you know, really, really uh, strong. So um, there is a there is a big role to play in my view, Um to, to demonstrate, clearly demonstrate that sort of upside and, and opportunity for longer life. So drilling, drilling, you know, I think drilling's, you know, pretty important at this, even at this stage. Okay, so you, you put out three um, holes so far. I mean, do you want to give us the drilling update then, given its, its importance to you? Well, look, we don't have any assays yet. Um, we put out a release today, Matt, which, you know, clearly shows the targets. Um, and... You know, what we're trying to do here is to demonstrate not just, you know, little incremental things. We're trying to clearly demonstrate that there's much bigger potential. Um, We, you know, I I think I said last time, 
you know, we've been five years, we've been very capital constrained. Almost every dollar we had has gone into the feasibility study. So we haven't had a lot of opportunity to demonstrate the upside potential. We got about 2 million tonnes of high-grade resource at the BKZ project uh, with three months of drilling, um, you know, in 2019. So, you know, I, I, you know, we're looking at, you know, testing some bigger potential targets and also expanding, you know, the existing resources to demonstrate further light. So, look, it's a twofold. It's a small program, but I, I think it's a high-impact program. So, it's going well. As I said, we're on the third hole. Um, we've seen some good stuff in the first holes we've drilled. We've got some good things to drill. So I'm looking forward to progressing that, getting some good results. Okay. But you've also, because of that job program, you've decided to not apply for the forestry permit yet. Yeah. So there's two things. It's not just the drill program. Uh, it's also the engineering studies that I referred to earlier on. So there's two pieces to the to the permit. So once we once we get a conditional approval for the project um, with the forestry permit, then we're unable at that point to do any more drilling, and we're unable at that point to change the footprint of the project in any way. So as I said, we're we're in the final stages of deciding which way we go with the, the heap. Continuing to heap leach or going a, a, a concentrate route uh, or a combination of the two. It may be that we start off with a heap leach and we progress over time, go to a concentrate. But, you know, that those the work that we're doing will modify the project footprint to some degree. So we don't want to lock have that locked in and not be able to change that. We had to make a conscious decision, Matt, that... Um, if we got it now, then it was going to be more difficult to change later on than holding off now and getting it set for the project we want to take forward. So that was a decision that we, you know, we after, you know, and these things, you know, they're not black and white. Um, so, you know, we did have discussions with the department in Indonesia, um, both the, the, the um, mines department and uh, the forestry department, um, to, to come to that decision, you know. So the implementing regulations are not as you've got the you've got you've, you've got the regulatory environment, but you've also got implementing regulations and they're not entirely aligned in, in their application. So we had those discussions and you know the outcome from that was decision made to to postpone um, that getting that final permit until we locked these things down. Okay. And We've seen we've seen a few instances in Indonesia and elsewhere in the world actually, and CEOs are more prepared to talk about this sort of off camera than on. But where the locals are starting to work out how to play the mining game too, to you know extract maximum value from mining companies. So when you talk about your ESG credentials or your CSR of old, your local relations and so forth. I mean, how, how do you go about ensuring this thing can get into production? You're not going to be delayed and therefore, you know, the cost of this thing doesn't go up. Yeah, no, yeah, all, all fair points. So um, let's just sort of start with a couple of, I think, key fundamental things is that our project in Kalimantan, um, in, a, in a country that's populated by 250 million people, Surprisingly, it doesn't have any people <laughs> on the site or near the site. I think the nearest village is nine kilometres away. So, 
Um, you know, we don't have direct impacts on people uh, in terms of, you know, where they're living. We don't have to move people, et cetera. The second piece is that um, the we've had, there's been a community development trust fund set up here that's been operating for circa almost 30 years, and that has built up an enormous amount of goodwill through programs of education, through programs of capacity building and, uh, you know, um, health uh, and certain sort of health programs as well. So, and health and education. So um, that trust fund, YTS has, has, um, you know, and I've said this, you know, in many forums, this project is in the best shape of any project that I've been ever involved with on day one for a project development because of the goodwill that's been built up through that trust fund and also because we don't have any people directly living on the site. So, you know, they're important considerations. Um, You talked about rent seekers. Um, So obviously, um, you know, we have our uh, our taxes that need to be paid directly to the government. The key thing, you know, with any mining project is to ensure that the taxes and royalties that you pay flow back, some of those flow back to impacts in the immediate uh, area that you're working. So, you know, the way that we would do that and the way we've done that in many projects that I've worked on in the past is to set up, you know, as I said, we've already got the trust fund established. It's done a lot of good work and it's done a lot of good work in conjunction with provincial government as well as local stakeholders and the company. So it's a three-way a three-way thing that we would set up uh, and essentially, um, you know, uh, roll out a community development program around that. Uh, employment's a pretty critical one. Um, that's, you know, we'll, we'll have a preferential employment program and and all the, all the important aspects around, um, you know, I think that one of the things that when you've been involved in, in a lot of mining projects and developing a lot of building a lot of mining projects in developing countries and jurisdictions, you know, there's a formula that, you know, there's a lot of cultural differences, but there's a formula that that works. Um, takes, you know, considerable amount of effort, but, um, you know, it's, it's a very important part of enabling the project. And, you know, I talked about, um, you know, the parties that we're talking to in terms of strategic investors, you know, they, they having an alignment in all of those things is critical in, is a critical part of the decision-making process for us on who we go with as well. So, th- thanks for that. Um, so, with regards to how you're playing this out, so with project number one, you potentially need to give away 50%. Let, let's say you're going to let us know over the next coming coming months, you know, who the strategic partner is, what it's going to cost you, but you've indicated, and let's go with that, 50% are at project level, right? And obviously, Ashish has come in and, and, and picked up you know fifteen odd percent, fifteen point three six percent today. How long will it take? Assuming all things go well, you get these equity from strategic partner, the debt in place to actually get this thing built up, and how much cash could it be generating by when for you to use on your second project? And in the meantime, how much money do you need to raise? To kind of keep things going and develop the second project, do you know, I'm trying to work out how you play this thing because it, it, it's it's a balancing act. You're spinning plates here, and over what time frame could I, as an investor, expect to see, see this company start moving 
Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so look, the lead time, lead time to production is, let's call it circuit, twenty four months. So, and I, I said that from the end of this year, I said basically twenty four months. So, we're looking at um, you know late late in you know back half of twenty twenty three. You know, we'll be basically getting this thing to start commissioning. Um, so then in terms of, okay, then you ramp it up, it, it, it takes a, you know, a period of time to ramp up to full capacity. Full capacity, you know, I guess it, uh, let's assume that the copper prices, um, let's assume the feasibility study that we've done uh, plus the copper price of, say, circa, uh, well, at, at $3.25, which is what we did the feasibility at, $3.25, it generates at full capacity production around 100 million US of free cash flow uh, per annum. Um, at current prices, it's probably more likely pushing up to around 140, 150 million dollars of free cash flow. So very strong free cash flow generating capacity from, you know, it's a good size project, 25,000 tonnes of copper. Um, so then you then you sort of, okay, well, that's, that's your sort of case that you've got. And you've got, um, 50, you've got 50% of that. Correct, 50% of that. Um, and, and, you know, there'll be um, all of that doesn't come out of a business, as you know. So, um, you know, part of that will be going into expansions and mine life increases and so on and so forth. The way that I've all, we've always thought about the second project, Matt, is pretty clear, and I've been very clear on this, is that it's a big project. It needs a large amount of capital. So we always said that we would be looking for a partner to come in and basically take operating control of that and take that through pre-fees, fees and into production. We would maintain as big an equity stake as we possibly can uh, in that project from the cash flows that we're generating from the other project. And ultimately, if that whoever has that project wants it, uh, you know, the value equation makes sense, they might want to acquire the whole lot. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's maintaining as big an equity stake as we possibly can. And then, um, you know, that's, that's sort of how we've been, we've been very clear on that strategy from, from day one. Okay, so it's basically taking the available free cash flow, which isn't going back in the ground on project number one, contributing your share of whatever that looks like in project number two with the hope that there's an exit ice the the strategic partner wants to take you out completely or at some point get into some cash flow there that that, that that's the way to play this or that's the way you want to play yeah. this so me as an investor i'm thinking because uh, I'm, I'm trying to say what type of investor do i need to be to invest in this thing i've, I've got to have patience but the, the good news is there's a plan it's good and the assets are, are, are good, right? They're, they're, they're small, but, you know, well, one small, but solid and cash flowing and the other one potentially quite large, but, you know, solid project. So I would say I'm going to sit back and just maybe let, just let this thing ride. That, that's the kind of investor I need to be. I, do, I shouldn't be chasing you every quarter going, where's the money? Where's the, sh- where's the share price increase, right? Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I think you've got to put things into perspective. I mean, mining projects... Uh, these days, it doesn't matter where they are, which jurisdiction, we're talking seven to 10 years, right? Larger projects, 10 years, smaller projects, maybe seven years. So, you know, that's the other timeframes. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, to, build a, to build a real project, you know, you can look across the universe of, of 
um, recent developments and developers, and you'll see those timeframes pretty much um, apply uh, wherever you are. Some of the some of the big projects are much longer gestation periods, so it does take patient capital, uh, investor capital, um, you know. But the 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 you know, you also look at those companies and you look at the re-rate that they've got in terms of value off the back of doing those things, you know, that they're, they're very, very substantial sort of uh, returns on, on you know, from where we are today to, uh, in fact, you know, I, I was just, it's funny, I was just looking this morning at Ivanhoe Mines, right? And, you know, everybody's familiar with Ivanhoe Mines and what they've done in the Congo. Robert Friedland, you know, is one of the world's greatest, you know, mining promoters and personalities. But, you know, that only only a short period of time ago, that had a 300 million Canadian market cap and it's tenfold, it's had a tenfold increase in that market cap by getting that project in Congo into production. Now, it's a big project. And, you know, it's going to produce a lot of copper, but, uh, you know, it's had a re-rate, essentially over 18 months, it's had a 10-fold increase by getting into production, um, you know, obviously in a strong copper environment. So, you know, that's, we know the life cycle of a junior company, you get that run up on the initial discovery, you get the orphan period. I've, you know, consider ourselves to be in the orphan period now. Um, Once we get the project financing in place, all the, you know, permits nailed down and we're into the next phase, then, you know, that next strong leg of, of you know, equity growth um, should should play out. Okay, Tony, look, appreciate your time today. Um, come back on and let us know once you've kind of made some decisions about, well, one, can you find a strategic partner? Who is it? What's it going to cost you? And also, um, obviously, these drill results as they come through, be intrigued, see what comes out of those. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries, Matt. Yeah, um, you know we're uh, we're in a very you know really good shape, probably the best shape. Well, we are in the best shape that we've ever been. Um, so uh, yeah, looking forward to you know a few good, really strong months coming up, and we'll circle back and give you an update.